Welcome to the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. Today I'm joined by perfumer Maya Njai. Maya set up Maya Njai Perfumes in 2016, inspired by an old family photo album from the decades before her birth. She set out to capture, by way of scent, these moments in time, these tropes of familial life set within their frames. The small Swedish summer house surrounded by mercurial forests, or the visits to her grandparents' sparsely furnished flat on Sunday afternoons. She sought to bottle the spirit, connected to the classic 1970s Scandinavian idyll, combined with the soul of her esoteric Gambian heritage. Maya, welcome to the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. Thank you, Sean. Uh, thanks for having me. Tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Maya Jai, and I am uh, a niche perfumer based in London. Uh, I work from my studio on Rivington Street in Shoreditch, and my focus is on gender-neutral um, fragrances inspired by my Swedish and West African heritage. How did you get into becoming a perfumer? And do you consider yourself a nose? No, I don't consider myself a nose. I'm very much uh, an imposter in the perfume industry. Uh, I came into it through um, university, actually, but I didn't study perfumery. I studied surface design. And it's something that I took on uh, in London um, at the age of 30, I think. So I was a mature student when I enrolled. And I wanted to change direction. I was working in the kind of the fashion industry and wanted to do something um, a bit more kind of creative, I guess. And surface design fitted me perfectly because it's multiple disciplines. And um, yeah, I got to do a lot of textile printing um, through screen printing and some wallpaper printing, ceramics, uh, book binding, all different types of things. And Whilst I was there, uh, I would show my tutors my inspiration, um, which was from my heritage. And I would show them my old photo album um, in the way of putting it on my mood boards and colour picking photographs. So sort of digitise traditional photography, colour picking it, and then kind of translating it um into prints and pattern in different ways now the the kind of the element of smell came in because fragrance uh i've always been interested in it i've always been been driven by different smells and it's the kind of the main thing that's stuck in my memory um when i think of a person or a place and so working visually and also pairing it with photography made me really interested and curious in the avenue of exploring fragrance as an added medium i was just had having visions of scratch and sniff in the 70s there used to be t-shirts yes i know I, I know i know scratch and sniff well it sort of feels like that's partially something that would have gotten me into the the kind of the curiosity of scent anything with an added sense of smell would be like better in my book so that's that's all all sorts of things scratch and sniff um stationary rubbers you name it all of it so how then did you decide to move from surface design to scent um when i graduated i really felt that the thing that i enjoyed the most was actually uh exploring fragrance and um i guess i yeah i continued 
with that um but I took on like a, a career or a, not career as such a job shall I say after graduating um that didn't feel as creative as I wanted it to be and so my outlet became make like doing making perfumes in my spare time um and whilst whilst at this job I was working as front of house and I would bring in fragrances to work or ideas to work and I would scent the reception area um just for me to kind of have a nicer environment to to spend my time in and there's a huge footfall in the building people coming and going every day and um there's a lot of there was a like photography studio recording studios music management so all like creative disciplines and um yeah i started chatting to people people would ask me about the fragrances in the building um and i was there for about three and a half years so it's it didn't definitely didn't happen overnight but i decided in the end that the job wasn't for me and it kind of ran its course and um i realized that there was a lot of interest in what i was doing and felt like i needed to take a leap of faith in into that direction and and so that's what i did you spoke earlier about this uh idea of heritage and how your swedish and west african heritage influences your work i often think about heritage and luxury as being entwined how it firstly how does you heritage influence the creation of the sense and do you see a connection between your work and luxury and my heritage influences my work in in different ways i mean going back to the the photos is the obvious thing so the the kind of the the visual cues and that's also a mixture of my my memories and uh the imagery that i have grown up around um but then there's also things like uh on my swedish side it would be the cooking um the kind of the the cardamom the use of cardamom in swedish culture which is huge uh we put it in as many things as we can if it's on on the not on the savory side but on like in pastries and you know that that kind of in baking basically so that's ingrained in me also vanilla um and the combination of the two um and then you have the kind of the i guess the the natural or the wildlife aspect of sweden so the forests um the lakes the kind of that that element or that environment um which is kind of what i tend to miss the most really when i haven't been back for a while so that's in there then there's the people um people's homes that uh will inspire fragrances um and then when i think of the the african side to my family um my fragrance for example tropica comes to mind it's it's based on my journeys there but it's very much kind of connected to the the holiday feel and the kind of the sunscreen element of going away or flying away somewhere um and it's very relatable to a lot of people for that reason so it could really be anywhere where you'd gone on holiday um and tabak would be another fragrance that has strong ties to sweden and to my granddad um but it also reminds me of gambia because it's a very kind of tobacco driven fragrance but it has uh elements of wood um of kind of um uh, sweeter sides which would be um like toffee or what could be described as tea um it has vetiver which is really kind of earthy but also 
nutty. Uh, and that's kind of how I remember the, the nature of Gambia and Senegal. Okay, those are the two that I think I need. Tobacco and Tropica. Yes, we should make that happen, shall we? Uh, and tell me a bit about luxury and heritage. I mean, do you think the two are intertwined? I was just thinking that so many companies use heritage uh, to add value to their product, regardless of whether it's there or not. But what you've been um, talking about is a very personal journey that influences the sense that you create. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the heritage side to to my brand and to brands in general and why they might want to include it is, I think, at least from a personal point of view, is that consumers uh, really relate to that and they, they value that in a brand. If, if they can really relate to a brand's story and a brand's heritage, then that's where they will decide to kind of spend their money or, or that's where they want to kind of um yeah that's what they want to associate themselves with so yeah i think it's really important tell me a bit about what inspires you so i you've mentioned your family you've spoken about the african roots and about sweden and i love cardamom cakes from sweden yeah what inspires you to come up with these um scents that you create yeah so i would say that Mainly, it's my curiosity about people and places. It's really, um, it's really the thing that that drives it. So, if I go somewhere uh, on a, on holiday, or if I meet somebody, um, I might think, you know, a person might inspire me to think, okay, well, if I could create a fragrance for them, what would that be? Um, it could also be uh, a character in a film. You know, I might think, okay, well, you're viewing it and it's visual, but what is that olfactory tale? There's a fine line between influence and inspiration, isn't there? Yes, definitely. I think so. And I mean, I I do also get inspired by ingredients that I buy. So I might be curious about an ingredient that I've heard about, or I might see something somewhere that I think I'm going to try and source. And once it arrives, that could be a really real trigger for for inspiration in terms of what I want to pair it with and how I want to to treat it and yeah you know how could that work in in a formula and alongside other raw materials why did you decide on fragrance it felt like it was the thing that gave me the most satisfaction so I guess creativity and the outlet for creativity was specifically something that I felt like I was missing and so to be able to to actually go into perfumery and explore that it felt like it was kind of like a, a removed um, way of working initially but when I realized that it was something that I could actually do it felt like something I really wanted to seek out and explore. And you said you feel like an imposter in the fragrance industry why is that? Um, well, because, like you said, you asked if I referred to myself as a nose, and that's a good example. Like many perfumers that are noses, they, you know, that requires an extensive amount, years of training, and, you know, you need to be then trained next to a master perfumer, and, you know, I'm not, I'm none of that. I just, I very much like exploring and experimenting and creating 
perfumes that I love to wear and that other people also love to wear. And I think that there's a real value and importance in that. Is the training always critical to be able to do something like you're doing? I don't think so. I think there's plenty of perfumers out there that haven't been trained or classically trained. Um, I think it's maybe possibly an industry that's quite sort of secretive and it has its ways of how you become a perfumer, you know, it gets passed down from from father to son and, you know, that's kind of traditionally how it was done and that's a long, well, I mean, it probably still happens like that, but for many years people have been going about getting into the industry in, in different ways and uh, it's something that I welcome and that I think that wearers and consumers also welcome. I think we, you know, the fact that I don't have the classical training, maybe that makes me work in a, in a different, in a different way. Maybe I look at things differently. Maybe there's things that I would never have done if I'd had kind of the classical training. I, I mean, I won't, I won't really know. And, but I don't, yeah, I don't worry about that. No, I was thinking exactly the same thing, that if you don't have that training, you, your senses aren't predisposed to come up with something that would be traditional, yeah. for example. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So when you're creating a fragrance, what's the starting point? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, I tend to look at my library that I've got, um, try and explore those avenues and just pair different ingredients together. And then I try and do like research on, on new ingredients within that particular family that uh, I'd like to explore. And then also, you know, if you have the opportunity, it's good to, you know, spend time in with the place or the person that's inspiring the, the particular uh, formula for you. So um, like, for example, if I'm working on a new fragrance that's to do with Gambia, then the best thing is to, to go back there and, and spend a couple of weeks in that environment, you know, if if it allows. Um, so, yeah, those are really the, 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 the things that I do. I look at various ingredients and, and try and put myself in, in the place that inspired um, the fragrance in the first place or that note in the first place. So did you then do anything over lockdown? Um, yeah, I did. Um, the new fragrance, newest fragrance that I've got, Voya Verde, was actually something that I kind of finalised um, during lockdown. And um, it's a fragrance that's inspired by a place and a photograph, um, like my other fragrances. Um, but it actually came about because I was looking at old uh, negatives. I got myself a negative scanner during lockdown because I thought it was a good way of spending my time sort of trawling through heaps of, of yeah, frames that I haven't looked at in ages. Uh, found this roll of film from uh, south of Spain where I usually go every year and a particular frame which shows uh, an image of an overgrown kind of car that's been taken over by the elements of nature. And it really, yeah, seeing this picture really made me kind of, yeah, really hone in on what these different elements were and how we're going to put them together and then eventually finalise that that fragrance. And was that process different? Because I'm assuming, you know, you weren't seeing people in the same way. Yeah, it was different. Um, in a way, it was easier because... 
there were like less distractions around, I guess. I think in my day to day, I don't spend, well, I spend far from as much time as I would like by my desk kind of formulating fragrances. A lot of what I do is is admin related and, you know, so lockdown actually brought a bit of freedom back into into that creativity and that, well, that creative space, I guess, to actually sit down and, you know, close close the door um, and get on with it. My studio at the time was five minutes from my house, so I could actually escape in there and, and sort of crack on, as it were. Right. And so I'm thinking innovation and alchemy. Do you do any distilling? Uh, no, I don't do any distilling or anything like that. I buy in all of my ingredients. And so... Um, in terms of like the the innovative side and the alchemy um, to perfumery, I would definitely hand that over and and to the the farmers and the chemists. If anything, I would say that what I do is an art form um, as opposed to innovation or alchemy, and maybe possibly mixed in with a bit of wizardry. It does definitely take a kind of a um, a sense um, to what you you know how you're going to do it, and it's not not anyone could put a fragrance together. So you do need to have a feeling for it or a sense for it. And I guess that's something that I've discovered that I have, even though I feel like I have so much more to learn. And I guess when I show people, other people about or teach people about perfumery, say during my perfume workshops, they really feel like it's a an in, very interesting but daunting task to take on and they quite often they don't know where to start and um yeah they're, they're kind of overwhelmed by the amount of ingredients that they have to choose from and so um but yeah once you put a little bit of kind of structure in place um and explain it in a way that makes it feel less daunting then then it's definitely something that that people are, are willing and, and enjoy taking on and are your materials natural or synthetic, or do you, mi- do you use a mixture of both? Yeah, so I, I use a mixture of both. I love working with naturals, but I love working with synthetics too. And I think I think the two complement each other, um, and I believe that they need each other, and it's down to different reasons. I think that um, a perfume that's been constructed using both will last longer, for example. Um, and I think that there is a misconception around naturals being the more sustainable option. Sometimes the synthetic um, substitute is more sustainable. Um, and um, also naturals, if you've got sensitive skin, for example, people might think that naturals is the better option, but naturals are actually probably more often the culprit when it comes to the allergens in a fragrance rather than than the synthetics so yeah i'm very pro both science and and nature combined when you are concocting a scent is do you concoct a scent well i say formulate but we can go with concocting too (laughs) when you're formulating a scent i mean is it very much about the moment in time or do you pre-planning you know for six months time or a year or a year's time yeah, you're very much in the moment when you're working on a fragrance, but it can also be, I can also find myself in situations where 
I'm working on the same formula over a long period of time. So, you know, your formula might take many, many different versions before you're happy with it. So where you started off and where you are in the middle and where you are towards the end might be completely different places. You might end up back where you started or it might take a completely different shape. So it's sort of, yeah, you can only really go by where you are in the moment, but it will change. I've been in situations where I've felt the need to kind of exhaust other avenues and and to know that you're on the right path, you need to experiment and, and try different things. And and sometimes, yeah, they're the, the better option, but quite often you end up going back to your instinct and where you first started. And do you think of yourself as a craftsperson? I do. I think fragrance has an element uh, of craft to it. I feel that it's definitely... Uh, has feels like it's a very old profession because it's been around for so long um, and it takes a lot of training and I think that's kind of how I look at craftsmanship it's about the time that you put into your training um, it's about how you create something so the kind of the slow creation of something and that's definitely perfumery you know you need to um, when you work on something you need to let it sit for a while to see how it matures um, before you can decide if you if you really like it or not and then you go back to it you do other iterations you wear it again and then you know so it's it's definitely something that requires patience and um yeah that's how I think of craftsmanship really it's something yeah something that takes time and, and practice and and do you think craftsmanship and luxury are linked? Um, well, within craftsmanship, you're training within a particular skill set. So I think it's uh, good to have a great knowledge of that trade. Um, and I don't know that they're kind of inexplicably linked because they don't have to be, I don't think. But today, the two are strongly connected. Um, and the reason for that, I think, is there's a lot of things that are mass produced. So if you have something that is made by hand by a craftsperson, um, it's sort of, yeah, people are more inclined to, to cherish it and, and like it um, in comparison to something that is mass produced. Yeah, I'm thinking about the work you're doing is you're offering an experience and increasingly luxury and experiences are becoming linked and then that's linked with the the craft of being able to produce something it could be a service it could be a product like a perfume and i think do you think of your customers as coming to you for this experience an olfactory experience yeah i would think so i think people are interested in and curious about what i do because of how i do it um, because of how I kind of communicate it. It's a personal story. And it's something that, yeah, like I was saying, people can kind of relate to. And I think that they seek something different from maybe what they've come across before. And it makes them, yeah, it makes them interested and it makes them wanting more. And how do they respond to descriptors of the perfumes? Uh, when they read about the fragrances and also when they see the photographs and kind of when they paint a picture in their head, it, they become really um, curious about how they're going to perceive these uh, perfumes. And I think that's been 
really kind of key in how I've been perceived as a brand and how I've sold and kind of grown over time. Just reading your website, for example, and just looking at how uh, personal it is and how descriptive you are about your sense. I was wondering if the customers kind of engage in that narrative. Um, being descriptive about the sense in through through words is like using, we'll say using the photography and the words, those are the two things. And that's how I get kind of people on board. And I think it's the, the link between the two that really draw people in. You're right. The tones are of a time and the accords nostalgic, yet the end products are notably contemporary. So as a you know customer, that kind of immediately says something to me about what I'm going to experience. And I've wondered if that's how your customers see what you do. I see what you mean. So actually, um, when when that kind of came together, um, what I had in my, in my kind of thought process was was the the colours of of the time of the photographs. So it's sort of like the um, the imagery they tell their own story just from the age that they are, and I think that's kind of like. Um, that's particular in itself. Like the tones are different from the tones that you get now in in a photograph, and that's that in itself is kind of strong enough. And I I felt that that was like a really inspiring part to them. But then I didn't I didn't feel like the my translation into fragrance was necessarily um, connected to that era. So I didn't feel like I was making fragrances based on how people used to smell in the sixties and seventies. So it's like, um, yeah, there's, it's a real enjoyment there of taking inspiration from, from uh, colour uh, and fashion and style uh, and then making it contemporary and kind of, um, yeah, translating, translating it some, into going from something old to something new and contemporary. How do you make something contemporary? Good question. We're going off track here. Yeah, no, no. It's a good question. I think for me it would be by using materials that might be more contemporary, for example, than than traditional. I think a, a mixture of, of both would be um, a way of making something contemporary. If you decide to steer away from new materials and just work with old materials, you're very likely to create a fragrance that feels like kind of that, that it's of a, t of a particular time. But if you then include more modern materials that wouldn't have been around then, then sort of automatically you're, you're, you're starting to create something that feels more contemporary. And then you can, you can play with the levels of that and play with the extremes or where you want your fragrance to sit on, on that chart, if you like, and, and kind of, um, yeah, control it and take it in one direction or another. It could have a really uh, contemporary edge and, and a, and a kind of traditional starting point, for example. So what might be contemporary ingredients? Um, so say, I mean, a good example would be musks. I mean, traditional musks would be seen as something that would be quite uh, dirty and like animalistic in a fragrance. And it's not necessarily the case these days. You might get a musk that's quite soft and clean smelling and kind of 
it might have yeah more of a, like a spicy feel to it or uh, yeah definitely offer more something that's more floral and clean as opposed to um smelling of like human bodies and animals <laughs> you know there's like yeah i would say that that's a good um a good example and then what would something be a bit more that's traditional or old fashioned i think of uh heady florals actually when i think of old and traditional so rose jasmine iris lavender uh, but also of course like woods like cedar wood and sandalwood things like vetiver or like neroli is a classic ingredient that i think is very kind of old-fashioned but also very contemporary at the same time yeah i think i quite like neroli yeah i do uh, it's interesting because also times change don't they and times change the way we engage with um the perfumes so with the first scent you created how different is that to your latest one mm. well people tell me it's it's hard actually for me to be kind of subject subjective about that because i just kind of yeah create what i like and i don't really know if there's like a common thread or if they feel completely different but to me they do and and i can only go by what people tell me and they say that they do feel that there's a, a, a difference in the fragrances, but that, that there is a common thread too, which is kind of, which they connect back to me. So I think that's nice to have, to have both, I guess, variety in what you do, but that there is some, something connecting them all as well. That's the narrative about you as a creator, isn't it? Yeah. Tell me a bit about the origins of the materials. I'm interested. So, if they're synthetic, they're of course produced in a lab. But if they're natural, they you know come from a field or wherever they might come from. Is there a element of traceability in the journey from beginning origin of material to the creation of the scent? So I would say that um, choosing ethically sourced ingredients is important. Um, when it comes to um, the actual batch production of my fragrances, uh, I've chosen to work with someone that I feel has transparency in how they source their ingredients. Um, I think that when you're, when you're starting out, you're at the very bottom of a very long supply chain. And I would say that the perfume industry doesn't make it very easy for you to kind of to shake that up or to get to the source of materials and it's for different reasons but you know you might be working on such a small scale that it's just not doable to be going straight to the source and or it could be that you know a perfume company they actually have their own fields where they kind of uh, grow their own ingredients and so on so there's like many different um structures out there but I would say an aim for me would be to work directly um, with farmers um, and thinking of different ways of how how that could become a possibility and kind of get closer to the source, if you like. And does that then become a luxury for you to have that direct engagement with um, 
with a farmer, for example? Yeah, it would be. Um, I think it would be for a lot of people. I don't know if it's a case of many people coming together and kind of sourcing uh, that way or whether there's a way of actually dealing with farmers and buying in smaller quantities. But I think I think it would be, yeah, because you'd be in, in direct contact with these people and that holds a lot of value. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, how so much of the supply chain is closed. Yeah. Yeah, I don't um I don't really deal with the, the kind of the, the big big perfume brands or or perfume suppliers, shall we say, out there. Uh, I'm sure as I grow I will come in contact with them. Um but yeah, we'll see what what the structure looks like a few years down the line. I know that there's a lot of people out there that are interested in in shaking it up. So yeah, I think that's a, a positive. And there's been a considerable shift from people buying big label perfumes to people supporting, you know, artis- artisans like yourself. Definitely, yeah, I, I agree. I've seen, I've seen that. I've seen a, a shift in in how consumers shop. Uh, I've seen them kind of put more thought into where they spend their money and. They want to make sure that they support someone who's like aligned with them as a consumer and as a person, and they're kind of steering away from from the high streets and looking at more niche brands. And I think that sort of spans across different different areas of yeah, different areas of what of where we shop. There's a different understanding of what things mean to people. And what resonates with somebody. And I think scent is one of those things that is so personal that people don't want to smell like everybody else anymore. That's a very good point. I think that's partly what got me into the industry in the first place, just um, having the same perfume as my friend and thinking, okay, well, I, I, you know, I, I want to do something different. And that's definitely also part part of the appeal, I think, in of, of being in the industry, the fact that you're yeah, you're constantly pushing and kind of uh, evolving in, in what you create. Um, and and the fact that you've got, well, I've got the tools at my fingertips to create something that if I feel like I want to smell like a, in a certain way when I go to an event, then I've got the ability to kind of put that together for that. And uh, yeah, that's kind of magical, I think. You are more fortunate than most Yes, more fortunate than most, for sure. That's true. To just kind of whiz something up. <laughs> yeah, I make it sound really easy. That's not. That's not always the case. I have put things together um, with something in mind, and it hasn't really worked out as planned. So, yeah, you win some and you lose some. That's the story of life. If you don't take a risk, you never have success. Exactly. Are there things that just don't work together? That's a common question, actually, at the workshops. And I guess the answer would be yeah, but it's it's all in in the kind of the levels I think that you that you put something in. Uh, there's ingredients out there that you would smell that are very popular in the perfume industry, and you might sort of screw the cap off and smell them, and you wouldn't dream of putting it in a perfume. The way it smells when it's neat. Um, you have to have the imagination of what something can smell like when you dilute it down to 1% or 0.1% or whatever it is, if it's something that's really strong and it will like work magic in, in your formula. But 
as it as it is on its own when it's neat, you wouldn't yeah you would think that you wouldn't go near it so when it comes to particular ingredients that you might not want to mix together there's something that comes to mind which i find is quite difficult and it's the notion of mixing vanilla with citrus i am a fan of vanilla um and i i do love citruses um but i keep them separate yeah so far maybe i'll challenge myself one day and bring out a uh, a perfume that's based on those two notes we'll see a vanilla orange yeah vanilla orange exactly you'll be the first to smell it Sean. Yeah, or vanilla lemon yeah exactly yeah uh, it's it just i'm fascinated it sounds like an amazing thing to be able to do sit down with this ta- table of vials and using a pipette and just kind of mixing things together yeah yeah it is a lot of fun definitely and you can you can definitely get lost in it it gives me yeah it gives me so much I feel like uh, I learn things every day and it's challenging it sort of challenges me Um, I feel like I'm I grow whilst I'm doing it you know if you take something on board and you manage to um to work it out, come up with a solution, then that's like the best feeling. And and also just being surrounded by by fragrance is is really yeah, it works kind of works really works wonders for the senses. Really, it's a a job that I feel lucky to to be in, like to step into my studio and and sit down and yeah, do that. It's, it feels good. Yeah, and it's also the impact you have on everybody else. I I when I decided to implement my kind of family photos and tell a real personal story that was one of my thoughts I was thinking it's I've I've created something that is essentially about me or about my memories or my uh my heritage uh and I'm also going to be showing my kind of personal photographs is that something that feels too kind of like um self-centered or you know how are people going to respond and relate to that but it turned out that it was the the very right thing to do because people explore the fragrances and they look at the the photographs and they think of their own experiences and their own memories um and their own families and and so on and it 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 becomes their own stories so that's definitely what i would say it it sort of started off being about me but I'm passing it on and it's sort of evolving into other people's experiences. But in this context, you know, there's that connection you have and the connection you're sharing and then the connection that your customers are buying into. Yeah, true. I, yeah, you're right. I think that's it. That's the whole process. Maybe luxury is in, in, in the process, isn't it? A lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's allowing people to engage with you. Yeah. You know, so often um so often when people are buying things, the most important element of the purchase is understanding where that thing has come from. Yeah. So with you they know that. Yes, they do. Yeah, they definitely do. I think you're right. Um yeah, that's what people share with me. I think it's nice also when yeah, when people decide to buy something and they yeah they feel like that it's okay to reach out and to say you know i really appreciate this and it made me feel like this or it made helped me get through a certain situation or and i feel like i i get that quite a lot people that 
reach out to me to share share these things and I think that's that's re- a really nice way to kind of feel like I've or to make me feel like I've I've done something right yeah I'm wondering if you think there's a difference between a purchase of a scent and a purchase of a handbag or a piece of clothing for example there's a trick question yeah that is a trick question well well I think maybe it's about the intent behind the purchase sometimes I think an intent intent behind a purchase of perfume can be much more kind of emotionally triggered if you like as opposed to buying an item and I guess I get used to get asked quite a lot in the beginning when I started or get kind of um compartmentalized within the beauty industry and I think I would say I think that what I do is I didn't feel like I fitted into the beauty industry and the questions were more about beauty related things and I realized quite quickly I knew why I'd ended up there but I don't feel like that's where my perfumes or where where my brand belongs and I think so looking at how someone might shop I feel like there might be a more emotional intent behind buying a fragrance compared to buying a handbag if that makes sense maybe I'm just speaking from my own experience here but I think people wear fragrances in different ways so some people are very loyal to the fragrances that they have or fragrance that they have sometimes they completely get used to that fragrance and they need to kind of switch it up and other people wear fragrances like clothes so they they you know they cater the fragrance depending on the weather or the mood the season um and i think i'm i'm a bit of a bit of both like that i don't have loads and loads of fragrances i tend to wear Nordic Cedar every day is the first fragrance that I made and it's the one that I keep going back to and it's just because of how it makes me feel when I put it on each time I just never get tired of it and yeah it's sort of part part of me and synonymous with with me and there are other people out there like that that are also Nordic Cedar wearers and it does the same for them if you were past somebody wearing it would you be able to smell it Um, yeah, I would possibly. Yeah. I mean, it does vary from person to person, of course, but yeah, I, I, I would be able to pick it up. Um, I haven't actually had that happen to me yet, but I, I have had people come up to me and tell me that they wear my fragrances and it's nice when people do that because yeah, it's, it makes me happy. I want to end as I always do, uh, with my chats. It's always the same question to end the, the podcast is what is your luxury? I had to think about this and I have, yeah, something um, in the, I'm in the process of something at the moment which feels very, very luxurious. Uh, and it's something that I've never really uh, been a part of or experienced before. And it's uh, having a three-piece suit made. And I'm in the process of that at the moment. Uh, and I'm having it done with uh, Beggar's Run in Shoreditch. And yeah, it's a really slow uh, process uh, and I've gotten to choose my kind of cloth I've gone for a blood orange woolen linen uh, which is from a Yorkshire mill called Marling and Evans it's my first suit so there's there are another, uh, no other suits hanging in, in the wardrobe and I'm really looking forward to yeah to having something that's been specifically made for me um, that I can kind of get years out of and, and love and cherish yeah brilliant Maya enjoy 
Thank you so much for joining us on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. Thank you, Sean. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you to Maya. Thank you to our partners, Intellect Books. And thank you for listening. And don't forget, you can catch up on all previous episodes on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast on your favorite listening channel or by visiting inpursuitofluxury.com. Join us next time on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast.